We have a choice of belief. Either Jesus needs to be worshipped as the Son of God, or he is the biggest hoax that has ever been fostered on human existence. The Apostle Paul knew this central crux, and that's why he penned 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, as he introduces our study titled, Back to the Basics. All right, we want to talk about the basics today. I read an article that really stunned me this week. It's called, The King is Dead, or Is He? Who would we be talking about there? If I just read you that title, The King is Dead, or Is He? Who would you think I would be talking about? Elvis. Oh, you got it right. Good. Well, I know what you've been doing all this week. It says, the night Elvis died, one of his fans came home to find that her Presley records had mysteriously melted. That same evening, a couple discovered that the Elvis statue in their den had inexplicably broken apart. Years later, a police officer tracked his missing son to Los Angeles through information supplied in a dream by Elvis. The singer's face suddenly materialized in the wood paneling of a woman's pantry door. His voice counseled an overweight woman to lay off junk food. The late star, a frequent hospital visitor, has offered words of comfort to a woman giving birth to another in a near-death experience and to a young girl dying of complications from Down syndrome, whose last words were, here comes... Elvis. The article ends with uh, a ringing endorsement of this new, this new religion that's developing. It says, and now some of them believe he is with them again. On the stone wall that surrounds the entrance to Graceland, they scroll messages to their elusive idol. Our loss is heaven's gain. Elvis, was that you at the Burger King? Are you dead or just lonesome tonight? Infidels can look at the balance sheet and say that wherever the star may be, he certainly is taking care of business. Presbyterians know better. Elvis is an anagram for their lies. The reason I read that to you is you laugh and you think about how ludicrous could that be. But I think there's some of our young people. I also think there's some of adults. I think there's all of us at times that can say, how do we know? that what we're doing here isn't just 2,000 years of a group of people that came to believe that their star was dead, but he'd come back to life again. You see, how do you know? How do you know that Jesus is genuinely alive? I also want to ask you, do you genuinely believe that he's alive? See, I think that's a very legitimate question. You see, I think that's a question that we shouldn't run away from. How do we know that all that we're doing in all the Christian churches that meet, how do we know that we're not just following a first century superstar on the level of an Elvis who, when he died, died a martyr's death, and then some of his followers came up with an idea and all these illusions that he was alive? How do you know? that Christ is alive. And the second question I want to ask you is, do you genuinely believe? Do I genuinely believe that he's alive? Now that's a very, very important question. You see, I think one of the biggest inoculations that Satan gives to us in our culture is that right now in about an hour, it's the in thing 
to be in a gathering like this. If you want to be a good Texan, you want to be here. It's with it in the community. It's with it as far as, far as getting to know friends. We can build a lot of social relationships together around it. So it becomes an in thing to have this label of we are a good religious people. And what I want to share with you is that the alternative that Christ offers to you is this. You can either take the Bible and throw it out and put it on the level of these kinds of reports that you laugh at. I trust that when you go through the grocery store line that you're not naive enough to believe everything that Enquirer has on the front of that bulletin. Now, some of you might still be at that level, but it's hard enough to believe we learned over the past year with some of the reports that we had first knowledge of, first-hand knowledge of, that even some of the serious newspapers can be completely out to lunch. Don't believe what's written in print. It's not always the truth. And when you're the brunt of those false reports, it genuinely hurts very deeply. So don't believe everything that's written, but obviously we can't believe what's written always in a, in a very serious journal or newspaper. What in the world do we do with Enquirer? And it is true, across the country, there is a small faction of people who believe that Elvis is alive. And we laugh at that. You laughed as I read those reports. But some of them would be very serious. And based upon a lot of the thinking that most of our generation has, what we would have to say to them is, that's great. That works for you. I'm really glad that there's a movement in your heart that kind of gives you hope and that you're not so lonely in the night anymore and that, that Elvis does come and comfort you. Because for a lot of us, our idea of what makes spiritual reality true is what works for me and what moves in me. And what I want to share with you is that's a lie. That's not true. It won't work in almost any area of life. If you take that approach in a chemistry class, you'll be dead. You can't say, well, this works for me. I'm going to take toluene, mix it together with sulfuric acid, and light it, and just see what will happen. It will make a beautiful birthday celebration. It'll blow acid all over your face. I've seen that happen, and I'll have to grab you and push your head down in, a, in an eye wash so that you won't be blinded for life. I had, a, I had a student that said, this works for me. You know, I like fooling around. You can't, because there is such a thing called reality. There's such a thing called truth. We are here to deal with the deepest truths of our existence. We have funerals in this situation. And what someone believes about what happens after life is eternally significant. And it's not up for grabs. It's not just up for anybody's feelings. And we need to be clear because I want every one of you to realize that you're either going to take the Word of God and hold it in your hand as the precious truth and the centerpiece of that revelation the basic element of what we're going to talk about today is that Christ rose again from the dead. And a young person asked me, Dave, how do I know for sure that I should follow Jesus? 
An Indian over in India is raised to follow someone else. A Chinese is raised to follow someone else. In Russia, they're raised to follow a political system. And as I go away to college, and as I begin to interact with other elements of the world, I realize that there's many different systems of religion. How do I know that all this Sunday school stuff that I learned about Jesus is genuinely true? That's a good question. And the fact that you need to look at, you need to observe, you need to ask yourself, is it true? Do I believe that it's true? Am I willing to commit my entire life to the reality that it's true? Is one basic fact. Is Jesus Christ genuinely alive from the dead? We want to open our Bibles to the basics. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've just come through several chapters where the Apostle Paul has been talking to us about the reality of the Spirit in the life of the Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul went to the root of what was causing much of the disturbance in the Corinthian church. You see, we have a crisis of authority in the Corinthian church. We have a crisis of what it means to be spiritual. We have a crisis of why are we together in Corinth. And I want all of us to ask ourselves, why are we together? Why is it important for us to meet? Why is it important for us to study? Why is it important for us to pray? Why do we exist? Because that needs to be what holds everything together, gets us through the hard times. And the Apostle Paul, with penetrating insight, was able to see through all the external rejection he was facing. The Corinthians mocked him out. In this chapter, they're going to call him an abortion. I mean, that's a rough thing for a group of people to tell you. Oh, Paul, you're just little Paul. You're an abortion. You know, that's a nice thing to say. Somebody, I mean, in other words, Paul is facing fervent antagonism in the Corinthian church. And instead of getting hung up in personality conflict, instead of getting involved in all the emotionalism of it, the apostle goes back and reminds this precious New Testament church what the fundamental point, what the fundamental definition of what it meant to be a Christian was all about. What does it mean to be a Christian? You see, that word is so wishy-washy that it can mean everything from, you know, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Presbyterian, I go to church regularly, I'm this brand, I'm that brand, I'm a nice person, I'm a Christian means I'm nice. I'm a Christian, it means I go to church. I'm a Christian, it means that I give, I celebrate Christmas and Easter. We can go on and on. The word Christian is nebulous. But for the Apostle Paul, it wasn't something that was free-floating. And we can go back and very objectively ask ourselves, for Paul, what does it mean for someone to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer? And he begins by reminding us of these basics. Look what he says in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, and we're going to add the sisters, and whenever you read brothers in 1 Corinthians, you can add sisters. It includes all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to remind you of the gospel. As we begin this text, I think we often begin it, and I've even leaned a little bit in this direction, with the idea that this passage was written to prove to an unbeliever that Christ rose again from the dead. Indirectly, that can be so. And I believe that could happen today. But Paul's thrust in this text 
is not to reach out to an unbelieving audience. He's not on the hill, Mars Hill in Athens. He's not debating with pagan philosophers. The Apostle Paul is talking to people like you, just like you, a congregation just like us. And he's telling us something that's really important. We need to be reminded. We need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to what's really in the depths of our heart. You see, I find that I get free-floating. I get out there and my mind becomes consumed with a lot of things and a lot of concerns, and I can be all worked up on a lot of issues, and I need the Apostle Paul to grab me by the neck and say, now, Dave, I want to remind you. I want to remind you of the basics. And that's the thrust of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, now, brothers and sisters, not an unbelieving audience, but a church family like us, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. You all know what the word gospel means. It means the good news. But for Paul, that good news had very objective, concrete content to it. It wasn't just any message. It was a very specific message. It was the gospel, which I gospel to you. He, he repeats it. He emphasized this idea that he proclaimed this objective good news. But I want you to notice now what he says. This is the Corinthians' response to it. He says, I proclaimed you the gospel. What does it say next in the text? Everybody tell me. I proclaimed you the gospel. I preached you, which you tell me. Receive. I want you to tell me again. Which you? I have lots of people that will say, how could someone be a member of our church and sit here week after week and hear the truth of the Word of God taught and have their life end up like that? Or have this happen? Or how could they wander that far away? That's a good question. It's easy to answer. You know the answer to that question. You all have sat in... How many of you have ever sat in a classroom heard what the teacher said, and it didn't do a blessed thing to you. You could care less about what they said. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you have ever slept through an hour lecture? How many of you slept through a whole semester of lectures? We all have, right? See, what I want us to realize is just because objective messages are being declared, they can be the greatest good news that anyone could ever hear. They could be the most important thing. In fact, what we're talking about today, whether or not you accept it or not, will decide what happens to you when you stand before Christ. And objectively, every single person, myself, you, every one of us, one day will stand before Christ. See, don't make our time together a debate with me because I don't mean anything. You're not accountable to me. It doesn't make any difference how you relate to me. That just doesn't mean anything because I'm not important. I'm not important at all in that regard. But your debate, your personal interrelationship, your interaction needs to be with the living Christ. And what we decide to do with him is really important. And mom and dad, it's very important. Do you ever look at one of your kids and look at him right in the eye and say, have you really received the message deep in your heart? I'm concerned. You see, I remember when I was raised. I was raised learning all this stuff. 
I knew all the verses. I was raised just like you. My parents carted, carted me off to Sunday school. A lot of you are raised like that. And some of you mom and dad should look at your kids right in the eye and say, you know, I went for a long time before I received it. You know, for a long time, I just assumed it. Oh, yeah, you know, everything's true. But I also went through some periods where I wondered, is it really true? And sometimes I wanted to get totally away from it. And we need to ask ourselves. I, mean, I think it's a very, very important question. You know, just because you're sitting here doesn't mean that you receive it. It doesn't mean that I receive it. I become much more sensitive to that because a few weeks ago I had a chance to sit where you sat, where you sit. You see, I receive pretty much what I'm saying because, you know, I try to lean upon the Holy Spirit, but I'm now in a position where I can talk about things that have been on my heart, and I receive pretty well what's on my heart. Now, the Lord really confronts me during the week, but what I'm saying is, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not really having a confrontation so much with myself today. But I found that as I sat where you sat, that I could sit there and go, no, I don't like that. I don't buy that. I don't receive that. I'm not sure that's really true. Now, that's good if you're doing that. Because that meant I was really paying attention. I was listening. But also, when the speaker started to, to be used of the Spirit of God to go like this a little bit in my heart, and the Holy Spirit started to tug on my heart a little bit and say, you know, David, you need to make some decisions about that. There's some areas that I'm exposing right now that you haven't really been that open with me about. You need to do something about it. Then I would go, no, I don't want to do that. And all of you are in that kind of thing. And I want you to be honest. I want you to have integrity. And I want you to see the truth of what's happening. Mom and Dad, you need to understand, the reason that some of your kids don't want to come to church on Sunday morning is because they're not into this Jesus thing. You could take them anywhere where they would learn about Jesus. They're just not into that. Talk about it. Be honest about it. Don't get angry with them. Don't try to cram it down their throat. But talk about it. And don't pretend that everything is fine. We need to have that kind of integrity together. The Apostle Paul is saying when he came to Corinth, he proclaimed the gospel. He talked about it. He presented the gospel. We're going to talk about exactly what he presented to these Corinthians. And what he's saying is that the church... Those that became believers, they became believers by receiving it. And it has the idea that they heard a message, and it was a message that was passed down by eyewitness people. It became tradition in a good sense of the word, of an accepted body of truth. And as the Corinthians heard it, they received it. They opened their hearts to it. Now, a lot of you are asking, a lot of you as moms and dads, and a lot of you as adults say, but how do we get people to do that? How do you make that happen? Well, you can't make it happen. You can't make it happen. You can present the message. You can present it with deep authenticity. You can do it with integrity. But you can't make somebody receive it. The Holy Spirit will work on their heart. The Holy Spirit will draw them. And the Holy Spirit wants to open that heart. 
But there's a deep mystery here because you're made in the image of God and my kids are made in the image of God and I'm made in the image of God and that means that deep in my heart I can decide whether or not I'm going to take it for my own, whether or not I'm going to receive it, whether or not I'm going to build my life upon it. And that's something we need to be very open about and very honest about. And prayer is a very strategic tool that the Holy Spirit uses to produce that open heart. I think it's something that we need to pray fervently. We need a tremendous, genuine reception of the gospel throughout our entire area. The gospel is so common in our area that it doesn't mean anything. Do you understand what I mean by that? You see, if I announced to our area that I was going to talk about the gospel, big deal. If I announced in Corinth that we were going to have a big meeting in Corinth and a guy's going to come and he's going to talk about someone that rose again from the dead, someone that he actually saw who came back to life again and he was going to talk to us about it, you'd get a crowd. Paul did get a crowd on the streets of Corinth. That's what he did. In, in schools, Jewish schools, that's what he said. And he got crowds. They got crowds all over the first century. Because it was news. It's not news at all anymore. If you say Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, great, what else happened this week? Big deal, so what? Everyone knows that. And what I want you to feel a little bit is that something that becomes so commonplace begins to not be appreciated not appreciated. Have you allowed the greatest event that ever took place in history to become a who cares in your life? Some of you heard the old time religion story before you could even talk, but as you moved into the heady intellectual atmosphere of the university or the sophisticated world of business, you left your Sunday school stories behind. Some of you men go to church on Sunday to keep your wife happy or to do your cultural duty. But deep in your soul, you haven't decided what you believe about Jesus' claim to have risen from the dead. What happened to Jesus' body? Did it come back to life or not? Our continued studies in 1 Corinthians 15 will give you access to the first century witnesses to this event and we look forward to examining this issue with you for the next several weeks on Truth Encounter.